Welcome to Fave This, a show about fandom, internet culture, and the unusual things people do in video games. This is your host, Patricia Hernandez, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Gita Jackson. Hi, what's up? I am the co-host, Gita Jackson. <laughs> it's me. Um, and this week, we actually have a special guest. Uh, it's Maddie Myers, who is a staff writer at Compete, which is our esports vertical that we share with Deadspin. That's right. It's me. I'm here. I'm special and a guest. <laughs> That's true. You are very special to me and a guest in our podcast. Yay. So, <laughs> uh, Maddie will be joining us today to tackle a thorny subject that a lot of you guys requested. Uh, but before we get to that, our first topic for today will be cheating. So a year ago, I talked to the guys behind Easy Anti-Cheat, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a service that stops people from cheating. Um and they talked to me a little bit about like what motivates people to start cheating or to stop cheating. And it's really it's just a wild world. And um, but before we get into that, I wanted to ask you guys if you have ever cheated in a video game. So we did a little pre-show chat about this, but the only two things I've done that are close to cheating in a video game are things that are probably not actually cheating but feel unfair to me when I do them. Mm-hmm. Like um, in single-player games, if I'm getting stuck on a puzzle, I will always just spoil myself and look up a guide. Okay, so here's my confession. I have not found those natural solutions to any of the dungeons in Breath of the Wild. I've always just looked up a walkthrough. For every for the shrines? For the, <laughs> not for the shrines. The shrines I do by myself, but oh. for the dungeon dungeons. Oh. Yeah, I mean to be fair, there are at least there's at least one dungeon in there that's like super annoying and that I hated, and I I literally stopped playing the game after that dungeon. So <laughs> maybe yeah. I should get back to it. It's like it's a very good game, and the dungeons are really good if you're a person that loves figuring out those kinds of spatial puzzles. But I'm super not, so I just looked up a walkthrough because I just like knew I knew in my heart I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, and then in multiplayer games, I just cheese the fuck out of things. Okay, my ex-boyfriend from college made me play a lot of Soul Calibur with him, and mm-hmm. I found one character that he was just really bad at playing against, and I never picked any other character. Who was and it? It was the one with the, the Chinese girl with the sword, and mm-hmm. she has that one sword move that is a low and a high, and then a very quick low move. I'm so trying to think of like how knew. many characters that could be in a scene. <laughs> it was like Jai Yu or something, but she was really pretty, and she had a sword, so I was like picking her. And then she had this move with a really weird timing where it does a very slow wind-up to a, a high stab and then very quickly a, a low stab. So my boyfriend could always block the high stab, but he would always forget about the low stab. So I'd always be able to get him, you know, break his combo by doing that move and then just pummel on him or push him off the edge. And he got so angry at me every single time. It sounds wow. like your boyfriend just needed to get good. I mean, <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, <laughs> Pretty I much. remember I had like the opposite experience where I was playing Soul Calibur with an ex who would constantly use Inferno's grab on me and mm-hmm. I could not figure it out. And I, we got in like a huge fight about it. And essentially he was like, good, good. And I remember years <laughs> later he contacted me because he like read something I'd written about fighting games and was like, hey, I'm really sorry about that time when I like didn't wow. actually teach you how to play Soul Calibur. And I was like, first of all, hi. And like, second of all, like I'm not still mad. <laughs> all right. But yeah, he definitely was like cheesing me with Inferno's moves, which are really easy to block. I just didn't know how to do it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, the point is, 
that has nothing to do with cheating in games. I will now answer the question. <laughs> uh, so I was telling you guys a little bit before about how I used to play Counter-Strike in late high school and early college. And something that was considered cheating but wasn't really cheating was essentially taking advantage of the fact that the game has didn't really have good internal team chat mechanics. Like you could sort of install other stuff to chat with only your team on voice chat. But um, what we would do is we would just call each other on the phone because after you die in Counter-Strike, it shows you a camera. You can switch cameras between your team and the other team. So you can look at where the other team is and you can mm. just call your friend and be like, hey, this is what they're doing. Like they're over by these boxes or whatever. And um, that's kind of cheating because it's like taking advantage of a game design thing that you're not supposed to take advantage of. But mm -hmm. it's totally normal now for Counter-Strike teams to talk to each other. So I feel like the fact that we considered it cheating back then is kind of funny and quaint to me now, especially since we were up against people using like aimbots and wall hacks and oh, wow. stuff that is definitely cheating that I didn't ever use. Because See, I feel like it depends in 2004, on the game. downloading something on the internet was also a lot more dire. So, like, installing yeah. cheats was its own obstacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it depends on the game, though, because in Battlegrounds, isn't that against the rules to, like, be team, like, at all be cooperating with not, another player? If you're not in the team mode, that. Right, right. Yeah. So, if you're solo and you team up with another player, you, that, that is a bannable offense because you're not supposed to so be. So, if you were calling your friend. You yes. can get banned for that. So. And I bet yeah. people are still calling their friends to this day. <laughs> absolutely guarantee that is still happening. It mm. must be. I mean, like I've done it in streamer. like Splatoon, which doesn't have voice chat. Like you can call your friend and just be like, let's play some Splatoon or like put on Discord or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the only times that I've cheated and again, like actual cheating is kind of like just goofs between me and friends and family like if we're playing a multiplayer game and there's like a handicap thing I'll put it on and then not tell them and uh, just waiting for them to like realize that something's wrong and then like just kind of reveal it to them as like a weird <laughs> joke so that's, that's the only time that I, I've never like bought a program or anything like that yeah but uh these people that I talk to that's specifically what they deal with the most it's people who buy programs people who make programs even uh the specific guy that I talked to, Simon Alley, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, he's actually an ex-cheater who um, stopped cheating because he was just so annoyed at how like all the cheating programs were like, no one's ever going to find out you're using this. Our security is like impenetrable. And he was just like, we're going to see about that. And then he, <laughs> now he has like a big business trying to stop these people, which is I, I think is really amazing. Um so something that stuck out to me about their mandate to, like, account for unpredictable human behavior is that just it's it's so difficult to even know where to start sometimes. Like, they told me the story about working on Ragnarok Online, which had a botting problem. A lot of MMOs do. Um, but instead of trying to zero in on, like, the botting behavior, they went with tech that detected the bots um, and the reason that they did this was because you had real players that would play for 18 hours a day and their actual like human behavior looked like botting, but it wasn't botting. It was just the most dedicated players seeming like yeah. robots. So this came up, actually, I wrote a story about the final patch for Watch Dogs 2. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a very small, like, minuscule, like count on one hand the number of players modding community for Watch Dogs 2. And they don't make cheating 
mods because there's only like five of them and like why would you do that basically no one plays that game so they Mm -hmm. don't they just do um single player game fixes or um they fix the they the like new colors or new shaders and stuff like that um so the final patch though killed all modding on pc and it's because they're using easy anti-cheat, which cannot differentiate between mm. mods that are being used to cheat and mods that are just color shaders or texture changes. Um, and yeah, I talked to Ubisoft and I talked to these guys and they were both sort of like, Ubisoft was just sort of like, we're sorry, the program doesn't do anything other than detect that the game has been modified in a way. So if they don't go online, they can still use the mods. And you know, the players were like, Watch Dogs 2 is so much of it is online. Like, that is not mm-hmm. a reasonable solution for us. Well, I think that was sort of what happened with GTA Online mods also, right? Like, a very, very, very small percentage of people were using those modding tools to cheat. The program wasn't made to cheat, but just the fact that it was at all started that huge drama. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's not even cut and dry when you catch legitimate cheaters. They told me this this story about how, like, Sometimes if it becomes public that you've taken action against someone who has absolutely cheated, if any other cheater catches wind of that, it can turn into this whole like retribution thing where all of a sudden you have these cheaters that are like, oh, are you trying to make examples of us? We're going to DDoS the shit out of you. And then suddenly they have to deal with that shit. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, there's just like a lot of weird situations that come up with cheaters. Um it's interesting to what degree it's like a problem that compounds itself. Like cheaters make more cheaters. It's I've seen this happen in Pokemon Go. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who live in small towns, usually in Europe. So they tell me that they get these spoofers, which are players who use fake GPS data to make the game think they're somewhere else in the world. So these people spoof to these remote towns and they think, nobody's going to give a shit about this. It's literally like a town with like, a thousand people in it so I'm just going to take over all the gyms and then they do that and you just get these situations where like a single player is terrorizing this entire community and so then what happens there is really interesting you get players who are like really honest but they start cheating anyway because it's the either the only way to be competitive or it's the only way that they can try to drive out the assholes so then that small town becomes a cheater's paradise I've gotten like five emails from like different places in like Finland and like Sweden. It's just, it's weird. weird. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense though. Like even in my own very outdated now story, I remember like at the time, like I said, we were like, well, everybody else in CS is cheating. Like right. everybody else is using aim bots and they'll never get caught. So like we can do whatever we have to do to keep up with these guys. Mm-hmm. Like that was, that was how it went back then. And I'm sure that's the same justification that, people at least start to use now as being like everybody else is doing it right and like whether or not that's accurate Mm -hmm. it sort of allows you to justify for yourself why you're taking an unfair shortcut yeah and like we see it outside of games too i was reading this book about like um i think it was testing in japan or some asian country i wish i can name it specifically where um a lot of people end up cheating and they got caught but then it they tweeted the people that caught them as like you're being unfair if the rest of the country is cheating like this then we're being put at a disadvantage for not doing the same thing and especially in like such a competitive market or whatever like this is determining our future it's not just a game so let us cheat which I just thought was like fucking baffling (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, well, this is not to get like super. I'm going to be socialist on this podcast. I was about to say, like, are, are we just like talking about capitalism? Like, when Patricia yeah. was like, this happens outside of games, I really thought she was just going to be like, such as capitalism. Because, like, no, like, I yeah. mean, the justification for major corporations for doing things like using sweatshops is, well, if we don't keep our prices down, then we can't compete with other people, yeah. which is true and been something that is the modus of capitalism to fuck over the people on the bottom in order to drive profit. Well, but, I was uh, thinking of like insider trading and stuff like that, like why mm. people justify doing that or like just, you know, anything shady that happens in finance circles where people are essentially gambling, like they'll justify using shady tactics because everybody else is doing it. That's just how the world is, right? Mm -hmm. We have to do it to keep up with these other people, etc. Damn, that's rabbit hole, though. <laughs> <laughs> Video games. Wall Street. Bit, Wall Street like... is the ultimate esports. That's, that's my new beat. It's going to be really article. grim. <laughs> uh, fucking, can you tell that, like, me and Maddie, at least, were upset, like, really obsessed with The Matrix when we were young? Because, like, oh, I, gosh. I feel like every time, every time I have a conversation, it's like, I turn into Morpheus for a second. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah, like, going back to video games for a, a second here, um, but they were telling me that one a phenomenon that comes up is just people looking for justice. Uh, so he specifically had a Counter-Strike friend who was a pro. He was like a real up t upright dude. And he had this bad month and he just kept finding cheaters in this game. And so he decided to download a cheat and he went directly into their servers to try to mess them up. And I guess karma shat on him because he immediately got caught trying to be an asshole to the cheaters. Mm. <laughs> Wolf. Yeah. I yeah. I just I I think I think the cheating stuff has gotten a lot harder to spot though. Like back mm -hmm. in the day, it was pretty pretty hard, pretty easy to tell who was cheating just because it didn't look very good. But like if you look at the Overwatch cheats that are available now, there's like really subtle aimbots that I know Patricia has covered that are like tricky to spot because they'll create an aimbot that's like seems kind of realistic and just is predictive they'll and is like you're more likely error into to it, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like a statistical error where you're just going to be more likely to hit in this specific circle or whatever. And back then, like in 2004, it was just like, oh, you would just get like a million headshots. Oh, that guy is cheating. Like, <laughs> duh. That guy shot me through walls. Oh, he is cheating. I Got remember um, back when I used to watch day nine StarCraft videos every day. I don't know why I got into this phase, but I did it all the time. He has like weekly challenges and he has people submit videos to them. And someone submitted a video to his like a weekly challenge thing where he just comes up with a ridiculous game mode and is like, yeah, play is Protoss, but you can only make this one unit. Um, <laughs> and they're really fun, Maddie. You should definitely watch them. Um, and one of them sent in a video where he was just clearly using cheats. He was using a map reveal cheat. And, like, you could see it on the video, and Day9 was like, dude, like, you're cheating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why did you send me this? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess for that person, it just became super normalized, which I'm curious about, Patricia. Like, did they talk to you about what the personality type is of somebody who decides to cheat and, like, how yes, they yes. I, yeah, I was get just, there? Just about to get into that. So, the, so their entire thing is about focusing on the technology rather than the people because... As they explained this to me, um, they seemed kind of sympathetic to some of the people who cheat because they were like, you never know the circumstances. Someone might be an unrepentant cheater who just does not give a shit and they're there to ruin your day. Or it might be someone who like tries to cheat and then like immediately feels bad and they never do it again. 
Like mm-hmm. even people who cheat a lot, like they sometimes reach a breaking point. They were telling me like, yeah, man, people pay for these expensive cheats and then they just send us this message like begging us to get rid of it because it ruined their game and they want the game that they used to play back and it's it's just not fun for them anymore. And it's just interesting to what degree your enjoyment of cheating like intersects with like things being social because like you think about it a lot of these games that we're talking about they're they're multiplayer but if you're like cheating you're probably not gonna be playing with friends like you probably don't want your friends to know that you're an asshole (laughs) like or you or like you don't want your friends to have like that upper hand on you or whatever it might be like like it might give you a edge but it also kind of alienates you like by proxy Mm -hmm. um because it's like, dishonorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also just interesting, like, to what degree your own community affects how you think about cheats and, like, whether even you consider it cheating. Uh, they were talking to me about Reign of Kings, which is a game that they worked on, which once had a glitch that allowed people to, like, hover in the air or, like, kind of fly or something. And so Western players, they would complain about it. They'd be like, this is cheating. You have to shut these people down. It's unacceptable. But on Chinese forums, they they would not call it cheating. They they referred to it as a skill because it was very hard to execute. And they theorized, and I don't know to what degree this is true, but they theorized that like maybe they were more fine with this cheat because people do it a little bit more openly over there. Like there's that whole culture of like cafes and like it's not uncommon to go into a cafe and see a cheater apparently. I don't know if this is true. Uh, whereas, like, in the West, they said it's more of, like, a secret thing. Yeah. I I feel like that sort of speaks to just our culture about, like, cheating in sports, too. Mm. Like, we're so hard on people who are discovered to have been doping. And we'll just be like, you know, now now we just tear them down. We never want to hear from, from that sports idol again if we discover that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like a similar thing happens in esports. I mean, I know there are really harsh rules against cheating. And I remember... Um, I think Eric covered it. There was like a survey about just different punishments for different types of uh, esports crimes, and it, and esports like esports crimes, yeah, <laughs> dun dun. Is this and, a new? Uh, yeah, <laughs> and people were people were a lot more people voted that it should be a lot more harsh to punish somebody who'd been cheating as opposed to like huh. gambling on their matches. And like I thought that was pretty interesting. I should find that so that I can tell I just you guys what the, the actual. Most- stankest face at Patricia when you said that people think that cheating should be more harshly punished than gambling which to me is like really disgusting like gambling not to have sports feelings very suddenly but gambling does like more so than cheating changes the spirit of the sport to me like people Mm. who gamble on sports you are incentivized to play well or badly which means that it just turns into professional wrestling and people like professional wrestling but that's not competition Mm. it's different but I also think that, like, it's just such a fine line of the example that I thought of immediately. And I don't know to what degree, uh, like, this is on the money or not. Like, I think about Smash Bros. And, like, there are some some mechanics in there that it would have been easy for someone to consider them cheating. Like, but then again, in that game, uh, even the developers did shit like wave dashing, right? Yeah. Like, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about um, bunny hopping which is something mm. that is you move faster by jumping in a certain pattern in Counter-Strike. And that that's technically a cheat, but it is something that pe- people just do. I can already imagine like the ancient game facts post of on bunny hopping and like 
I can't do this. So it's cheating that other people are doing this and it's not fair. It Uh. just reached ubiquity too quickly for people to like not not do it. You know, like it's it's one of those things. Wave dashing, I think, is the same way where people learn how to do that and they just kept doing it. And at that point, you can't patch it out. It's the same with the weird melee jump in No Man's Sky. Yeah. The weird melee jump that Kirk Hamilton is obsessed with Mm. in No Man's Sky is definitely a bug. But now people know how to do it, so they're not going to patch it out. And it's the same thing with using the jetpack to climb up mountains in No Man's Sky is 100% a bug. Because mm-hmm. the camera always glitches out super weirdly and it makes this horrible sound. But now that everyone uses the jetpack, you get unlimited fuel for your mm-hmm. jetpack if you use it next to a uh, vertical surface. So mm-hmm. you can just use it to climb up mountains. And definitely a bug. 100% a bug. But, but now people just use it all the time, so they can't patch it out. Totally, totally. Yeah. Or they oh. will patch it out and people will be like, this is deeply unfair. <laughs> Why did they get rid of this bug that was finally allowing me to enjoy this game, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so this kind of brings me to the big thing that I've been wondering about since I talked to this these folks. It's just the role that social status plays into how we think about or punish cheaters because it's really touchy. Um, most of the popular ways of dealing dealing with cheaters are very like scarlet letter like uh, on Steam. If you get caught, you get back banned, which bar- bars you from playing some games. But also, you get like a little note on your profile that tells everyone that you've cheated. Oh my god! And then more recently, Pokemon Go made it so that any monsters that you catch while cheating, they will have like a little red mark on them, and the monsters will also behave a little differently too. People always cheer when they see that shit because it's like, haha, look at that person. They, they they cheated, yeah. But it's it's kind of this double edged sword. Like it's effective. They've seen the data that suggests that like backbands and such actually stops people from cheating. Uh, but then and obviously people won't cheat if they think it might turn public. But then if you label someone permanently, you don't know. Again, you don't know their circumstances. If they were just like someone who's never going to cheat again and then they have that mark on their profile for like years and years mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so I, I was just wondering what you guys think about that shaming aspect to cheating because it reminds me a little bit about the drama surrounding John Ronson's book so you've been publicly shamed mm-hmm. but that's more about like social media but it just strikes me to the degree that we as a society like rely on shaming to correct certain behavior that we don't like right and like whether there are behaviors that it's like once you do this you are cast out from society. Yeah. CS cheaters are forever banned and <laughs> you can never come back. Well, in a weird way, this immediately made me think of the new Taylor Swift single. <laughs> <laughs> Where she the argument she's making and and Kanye has repeatedly made throughout his career too is that their pasts and they can never escape them and they're being used to to shame them and ruin their reputations. Obviously mm. though, um in terms of the rest of society, that the part of society that's not uh, a competition, mm-hmm. that doesn't really work. Like people learn in how to roll into their labels very well. Mm. Um, if someone like Kim Kardashian made a multi-million-dollar career off of having a some a lover, you know, try to brand her as a slut, mm-hmm. um, there are ways I think in which. I know, like, at the end of Club Penguin, didn't people start speedrunning? Whoa, running? that was not where I thought no. you were, like... <laughs> but, like, at the end of Club Penguin, people started speedrunning how long, how fast they could get banned. Mm-hmm. Like, people start to think it's really fun and funny as well to get caught for doing things that are bad mm-hmm. and get those badges of shame. Um, and Cecilia, you know, wrote that article about 
people who would dare like challenge her to report them during Overwatch matches for saying fucked up things to her because they were like, I don't give a shit. And like, I'll take that badge. Mm-hmm. They, you, you, sometimes it can turn into a badge of honor. Mm. Totally, totally. Yeah. That was a very convoluted way for me to say <laughs> something that is actually a very simple some, concept. Some people yeah. can reclaim. Uh, I I think being that could work if you're like a YouTuber or a streamer, and like being a a bad boy or bad girl is like part of your brand or whatever. Just like being that kind of rebel person. But I don't. In esports, it's still a little different. I did dig up the survey that I was talking about. It was done by the Esport Integrity Coalition, and I remembered it correctly. The community that voted in the survey sees match fixing as not being as big of a deal as cheating. And it's super strange. And I mean, people can look up the stats in here. I won't read them all, but it's just, it's just a weird thing. Like it is kind of weird to me that socially gamers have seen cheating as the worst possible thing ever. And you should be banned for life from every esport, except, you know, if you do, any other number of things. There are plenty of esports stars out there who are just casually racist, and there are plenty of them that are like, or you like know, widely like participate weird... in match fixing or idly gamble yeah. on their own matches or whatever. And like, just different offenses that people are like, well, yeah, that's bad, but like, I don't know, take him, take him out of the season for like six months and and slap him on the wrist and and then bring him back in. But he Wasn't... cheated? No yeah. way. <laughs> Low key, like for a while, weren't people weren't just like a lot of like high level players, um, and I think league just completely fucked up on Adderall like all the time. Just like that was something that was a weird known thing, but everyone was like, well, if they play better when they're I think drinking a lot like of caffeine and doing a lot of Adderall. A known thing in a lot of esports, but that's like a whole other thing. Yeah, people like don't consider that cheating in esports. Well, because really it's kind of debatable as to whether or not being hopped up on Adderall actually makes you better at different games. Mm-hmm. That that We could do a whole topic just on that. <laughs> Remember that time when I like took a bunch of drugs for work and wrote about it? <laughs> I was like your first week here. I can't believe we hazed you like that. I know. <laughs> oh man. So I think maybe we're gonna pivot into our yeah. our reader segment. We cannot begin talking about esports players doing that at all, or else we'll never stop. I mean so- that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so the big question that we got from readers this week was um about cosplaying. So Janet Garcia, for example, writes, thinking in terms of fandoms, would love to hear your thoughts on white people cosplaying characters who who are people of color. We got similar questions from a few other people about cosplayers dressing up uh, that look like, look different from them in some way. So Maddie, I know and have done this with you. We, you used to cosplay a hell of a lot. Uh, Yeah. 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 You were a big cosplayer. Can you tell Uh us a little bit about your cosplaying past? Sure. Um, There was just like a decade plus of my life when I was regularly building craft foam armor in every room of my home and, you know, wearing costumes and performing. And I even did like some sort of staff work for cons that is sort of in a booth babe-esque capacity. And I've written about that at places. Um, So I've done sort of quote unquote pro cosplay, but I've also just done it for fun. And I have only cosplayed white characters for the record because uh, I'm white. But yeah, it's definitely a huge conversation in cosplay communities. And I think something that makes it at least trickier is when you have sort of fictional 
societies like Legend of Korra. Obviously, mm. Korra is not white, but her country doesn't exist. It's just sort of based on Inuit cultures. And so then it's like, well, can white people cosplay Korra? Uh, obviously, many white people do, but like that's, you know, it's a fictional country. Um, yeah. Or like the friggin' Avatar movie. Like, okay, like Zoe yeah. Saldana is playing a blue alien, but like, yeah. no. You know, it's so, Zoe Saldana. Can white people paint themselves blue, et cetera, et cetera. So like, it, it's a, Whoa. it's definitely a big <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, Legend of Korra and uh, Avatar, the good Avatar, were the ones that I was thinking of. Yeah, the good one. Uh, <laughs> There's also that other one. <laughs> yeah. That other one that millions and millions of people saw for some reason in theaters, and now there's going to be like 14 sequels to it. Oh, my Whatever. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. The Avatar fandom. The bad one. Uh, Can quotation. you just get <laughs> James one. Cameron to come on the show and just like <laughs> He'll definitely ask do him it, what's right? up? Like, ask him if he's okay, you know? <laughs> just have like an intervention for James Cameron on the show. I think we should definitely do that. <laughs> I would rather do that than to talk about racism and cosplay communities. But anyway, let's get back to it. <laughs> waka waka, because look at that. It's like the elephant in the room that's what we're talking about is race. Like the reason why there's tension of, from white people cosplaying characters of color is because when people of color cosplay characters that are white or not black or not their race, people will point it out to them constantly, just mm -hmm. incessantly. And it is very weird. I've cosplayed characters that aren't black before or Indian before. Um, I actually borrowed Maddie's Emma Frost costume mm -hmm. where uh, Emma Frost is a white character from... Uh, X-Men. 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 She's the best character in X-Men. She dresses like um, a black female rapper uh, <laughs> in a, like a, she has a fucking furry cape yes. and a corset. It was great. I looked fantastic and I had this blonde wig. But, you know, walking through the floor, I became very self-conscious because I didn't mm. want people to approach me as um, your... I think one person did actually ask me if I was Storm, and which was really weird because they wear very different costumes. And Storm yeah. usually dresses in all black and Emma Frost dresses in all white. And I had a long blonde wig, which is just not how a way Storm has ever worn her hair. Hmm. Um, and it was, you know, people ask you these questions in ways that are confrontational and hostile. So when you see you are a black cosplayer and you see a white cosplayer getting a lot of attention or adulation for cosplaying a character that is of your ethnicity, obviously you're going to be jealous and bitter about mm -hmm. that. Like if you see a white Korra cosplayer and you're brown and cosplaying the same character and they are doing a professional level photo shoot and are you know there as a pro cosplayer, mm -hmm. you're going to feel like really pissy that you don't get the same kind of attention when it's a character that's more closer to your skin tone. Yeah, yeah. so I don't cosplay, but that's sort of what I was thinking about in like prepping for this question, just this idea of like, well, I don't know that I would say that it's wrong, but I feel I would feel or I would think a lot about like who gets to take up space and like what that means and like how that affects other people and like whether or not that was something that I would be OK with. Yeah, I definitely think it's fine for white people to cosplay characters that are not of their ethnicity. I think you should definitely never, ever, ever black up. I think you should never do that. Um, I think you should even be very sensitive about things like Afro wigs. Yeah. Like if you were a white person in an Afro wig, you were gonna. Doesn't matter what your intentions are, you are going to look like you are mocking black people. It really, you just have to be careful, careful about that. I remember there was a big hullabaloo about uh, Garnet from Steven Universe. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Do like you remember white that cosplayers thing? like wanting to cosplay as her? I mean, I didn't remember there was a hullabaloo, but I've definitely seen the conversation just about that in general. Yeah. 
No, um, she's an alien, kind of. So like, she's you know. a gemstone. She's a gay gemstone. Exactly. Um, but she has big Afro hair, and a lot of white cosplayers get around it by because her hair is literally square in the show. Oh. It's implied to be an Afro, but it's it's square. Mm-hmm. So they get around it by creating like a big square foam block, which still looks good, still looks in character. But I remember specifically on Tumblr, this you know this cosplayer who was white kept insisting on you wearing an Afro wig for their garnet costume. And people, mm. got, it got very hostile because that's how fandoms can get. And I'm afraid that nobody really got to say the thing that they wanted to say, which is, this reminds us of minstrel shows. Please stop it. Mm. Yeah. 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 And that is something I think that, I don't know, I mean, you are more in the cosplay community than I ever was because... It, that's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely obviously was selective about who I hung out with. So a lot of the times these conversations would happen to my periphery. And anytime they came up in my friend circle, I would be like, yeah, don't do that costume. Let's, <laughs> let's not even <laughs> let's not even do that. So that's that's just, you know, me being selective about who I know. But yeah, I, I think the other place where it comes up that's that I have seen that's trickier is uh, like body type stuff and like people feeling like they can't be certain characters because yeah like the cosplay community is racist we've covered that but they also are just really normative appearance focused and if you are skinny and white then you can probably get a lot of attention on the internet on whatever websites feature cosplay spreads including kotaku.com not to not to call out our own website but like yeah we, we we publish a lot of photos of like really beautiful people and there are totally cosplayers out there who don't look anything like the characters that they're being but their costume is really good and like mm. that's tricky right i mean it's like yeah. all these characters look a certain way like obviously body type normativity is like a thing yeah. <laughs> in video games I and think cosplay, in anime and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, the cosplay community has the same problem that a lot of video game communities have, which is the idea that they are a meritocracy while ignoring societal yeah. factors that keep other mm. people sort of a, a, away from Absolutely. participating There's in definitely it. like this whole, anybody can do a cosplay. We're completely you know colorblind and like it's fine and it's like no first of all that's not real it's impossible you're part of society (laughs) all of the biases are at play and you've internalized them and have to think about them all the time and like how you interpret these characters and who gets to be a hero plus the things that you're cosplaying are also produced by our same society and like personally it's never been hard for me to find an abundance of white lady power girls to cosplay because that's you know that's our society like there's a lot of little blondes that I've been able to cosplay over the years with not too much effort. But well, like, I have to say my favorite Maddie Myers thing was the um, Dark Phoenix. Your Dark mm. Phoenix is like probably the best. Well, thank you. Who no I problem. am definitely not tall enough to cosplay. And like I, I've had that. That's like the closest because I'm such a I, I'm, I'm a small person. So like <laughs> cosplay is biased in my favor. But if, when I cosplayed Wonder Woman, I was like, I'm like the shortest Wonder Woman in the world. Like this Aww. looks really stupid. <laughs> and like there were definitely people who would like make jokes about that to me and be like, wow, you're pretty short for an Amazon. And I'm just like, well, you know what? Fuck you. Wow, like, assholes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and like that's that's just kind of part of it. Like cosplay community is theoretically a meritocracy, but also people are also dicks. I don't know. Anyway, that's just so me complaining. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> um, to what? So this is just my assumption. 
if someone wants to cosplay someone, I assume that they feel some sort of connection to the characters. Do you feel like that at all factors into why this is so dicey to people? If the, if you're watching yeah. Korra and you're like, I want to be feel Korra. Like Korra. I love yeah, her. Like, yeah. You know, like you really uh, bond with her on some mm-hmm. level. And so you see yourself in her and then to be told like, no, you can't actually literally dress up like her because of X and Y. Is that why things can get so dicey? Yeah, I mean, it's the same side of the, the it's a, two different sides of the same coin. That's the phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I mean, maybe you're a queer person and you watch Legend of Korra and that's your first time seeing a queer relationship on screen. So you want to be Korra because you identify with Korra. And mm-hmm. then you have to butt up with the fact, maybe, possibly, that you're also a white person and your presence as Korra is going to feel really different than a brown person's presence in the space as Korra. Mm. Um, I know for you know b- body diversity, it is like a very big deal that there are finally more high-profile characters that have different body types that are explicitly, specifically fat in some yeah, ways. Yeah, like Rose Quartz in Steven Universe. I've seen yeah. people be like, only fat girls should cosplay Rose. Like, no one else should do it. Skinny girls need to stop. And I'm like, I mean, maybe that sounds- that's legit. But it's yeah. I get I get the sentiment of that. Like, I don't... I, don't know. I understand why people get passionate about it. As always, I'm worried about uh, people expending their energy in places that are not going to make them happier. Mm. Like yelling at people for cosplaying things they quote unquote shouldn't be is not going to make you happier in the end of the day. Um, like you aren't actually going to fix the fix quote unquote fix the cosplayer community um, by shaming people. Like mm. this is going back to the thing with about cheating and shame is that. You can shame people out of communities very effectively on the internet now, um, but that doesn't mean that those behaviors and attitudes go away. Yeah. So there's always going to be cheaters. Even if you shame cheaters, cheaters are always going to be there. But so it's in order to like create a better cosplaying space, you actually have to every single person that cares about these things has to just be compassionate and care about them every single day, and not cut mm-hmm. any corners. Which sucks. It's also like, I mean, I'm sure, you know, everybody has heard, you know, for the past several years, like, oh, is the fandom, is fandoms getting too toxic? Like, mm. you know, that conversation that just is repeated ad infinitum anytime anyone gets mad about anything online. Um, <laughs> and like cosplay is definitely a space where there's a lot of teenage girls. And like anytime you have a space like that where people are passionate enough to spend like 680 hours building something out of craft foam, um, it's like you're going to be all the more defensive after that experience if you're then told, oh, by the way, what you're doing is is not allowed according to these rules that you didn't know about because you just, you know, live in a bubble and you're privileged. And like then you're more likely to react defensively because you're like, what what the heck? I, I just like built a you know, thing. And now people are telling me I'm not allowed to wear it. What What mm. is this? And like, mm. that's obviously not a great reaction to have because, you know, it's, it, it just signals that you have to take a step back and think about it more. But like, I do see these fights play out on Tumblr and in cosplay communities where usually really young girls will be fighting with each other about like what is and isn't okay to cosplay from Legend of Korra or like from Steven Universe or whatever. And because it's I mean I was just listening to the the podcast that y'all did last week where you're talking about like kids and just starting out with feminism and like mm-hmm. 101 social justice stuff do you remember that conversation that you yeah, had yeah, where it's yeah, like yeah. you go through a phase where you're like just pointing out that something's wrong and you're not going to the second step of being like well this is reflective of a larger thing you're just like mm-hmm. no it's black and white either it's objectification or not either it's racist or not and like you don't think like well, 
you know, Legend of Korra takes place in like a fictional world. It's actually kind of a complicated question. And like, who, who is represented? And like, what does Korra's history mean? And like, that's a more interesting conversation than the one that happens, which is just, fuck you, take this down, you should never should have done this, you know? I mean, it makes me think of um, the actor who just stepped down from the Hellboy movie yesterday. Yeah. Um, who who did the thing that I would actually love to have happen? Yeah, pretty you know, rad. When these conversations <laughs> happen, so there is an actor who was cast as a character in Hellboy that I don't remember because I don't read Hellboy, who is a mixed race of Japanese and like white descent, um, and the actor cast really strongly resembled the character, um, but wasn't Japanese. Right. Um, and I don't know when he had been cast, but it had been a couple of days. It had been a week at least. Um, and yesterday he wrote a note. On Twitter, that was just like, when I took this role, I didn't know that this character was mixed race. I am also mixed race, so I understand why this is a problem for some people. And as much as I'd love to be a part of this project, I feel like it's wrong for me to, to do this. Mm-hmm. And he stepped down from the movie, which is exactly the right response. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to come from a, like, a real place of actual genuine care. I mean, people in Hollywood have people for them that write these things and yeah. can help yeah. massage them and make them sound perfect. But yeah, like, why aren't 16-year-olds on Tumblr, like, coming up with great PR statements about how they've decided not to <laughs> yeah. cosplay as Moana anymore because they thought about it and they decided they shouldn't? Like, it, it's just, obviously, that's not happening. I guess also, but, yeah. I wonder if it's beca- if that happens, that's just not the sort of post that would become visible because, yeah. I, I don't know, my perception is just that the second that things start just becoming arguments, then it becomes like more viral and like more people can be like, have you heard the drama on blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like you're less the likely call to out share. Gets shared, yeah, yeah. But the apology like... afterward never gets shared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen that actually happen several times where people are called out and then they, they do respond to it and say and are apologize and, it, and own up to the things that they've done. And the call out continues to be shared. And yeah, like the explanation and the apology and the account accountability that doesn't that gets erased from the conversation yeah. entirely. And when you were 16 and finding popularity in a scene um, where you might not have popularity in your real life, uh, that happening to you can be fucking absolutely terrifying. It's always, the internet is designed in such a way where it's always a better option to double down, which mm-hmm. is so scary to think about. But like, it is always a better option to say, to do to do a Taylor Swift and say, fuck the haters. I was literally thinking about Taylor Swift, but I didn't want to mention it just in case <laughs> that know. would just suddenly become like, hey guys, let's talk about how shitty Taylor Swift is. Anyway, her song's <laughs> I mean, bad. It's I like wrote an article about it. comparison though. Like, <laughs> it is this. It's like, you know, not being willing to take a step back and be like, how do I appear to society? What internalized biases do I have? Mm-hmm. Things yeah. Taylor Swift has never done, probably. I don't know her personally. I can't speak to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I don't know her personally either, but I do know her that her new song is really bad. <laughs> you should read that article. Yeah. Guys, um, so on a less heated subject, I have one more quick letter to read. Cool. Um, This was written by Peter Green, who says, Getting a Switch recently was the first time in a while that I felt on the cusp of a new online community, and it's a great feeling. I'm terrible at Splatoon, but the wacky art and snarky Splatfest posts combined with the game's aesthetic have absolutely stolen my heart. Um, So I just wanted to quickly say, uh, this letter is actually a little bit longer, and he was talking about how, like, this is the kind of, like, the first time that he's experienced fandom and I think this is interesting because the Switch is a really, it's just in an early place where the fandom is forming itself. And because 
there aren't that many games for it, everyone is kind of having the same experience. Like, you start off with Breath of the Wild, you get Splatoon 2, then you get Mario Kart, then you may be considering Rabbids now. Uh, whereas, like, if you're on one of the other consoles, the PS4 or the Xbox One, you can be playing, like, hugely different games. Like, the PS4 alone gets so many indie games, like, every week mm-hmm. that two different owners might, like, be nothing alike in, in terms of what they play or what they prefer. Um, and the Switch might get there at some point. You know, they, they might get way more games. But for now, I think it's it's kind of sweet how, like, everyone is kind of a part of this, like, solid yeah. community. More so than being, like, a bit, like, the console... Like identi- personal identification thing with a switch makes more sense to me because it's like watching a seasons of a TV show mm. a little bit. Like the next, the, every time a new big game that everyone likes comes out, you you reliably have people to talk about that exact same thing with mm-hmm. you. Whereas uh, I know lots of people that have PlayStation fours, we do not play the same games at all mm-hmm. whatsoever. The only time that was happening for the PS4 was at launch and and when everyone was either making fun of or playing Knack. <laughs> Knack 2. Knack 2. Coming, coming soon. Coming soon, y'all. It's coming real soon. <laughs> that, that's going to bring the community back. I hope so. I really hope so. God. I'm so glad that Knack 2 is a meme. Anyway. <laughs> um, if that's all for us, mm-hmm. I am going to read um, one of our really, really good reviews that we got on iTunes. We got a bunch of really amazing five-star reviews, exclusively five-star reviews, which Thanks, is fantastic. Guys. Thank you. But this one was my favorite one. Uh, and this is from Ashman86. It's titled, Insightful, Thoughtful, and Delightful. Uh, I've been reading Kotaku for over a decade now. While other gaming sites have come and gone for me, checking the headlines on Kotaku has been a daily habit of mine that's never once waned. Fave This, hosted by Kotaku's Patricia Hernandez and Gita Jackson, is a perfect distillation of what has long made the site a, a must-read for me. While this podcast is still very much in its infancy, I've already started looking forward to new episodes each week. Patricia and Gita bring insightful and critical consideration to every topic they cover, which vary from flippant entertainment to touching and human. And time and again, they force me to reconsider my own feelings and stances on topics that I'd previously not thought twice about, like the worth or lack thereof of Twitch chat. I'd recommend this cast to anyone interested in gaming or more generally internet culture. You won't be disappointed. Also, Gita's laugh is totally infectious and wonderful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That was a 100% factual review as a person (laughs) who has only been a listener up to now and is now here. I am so glad Ash mentioned reading our fucking site for 10 years. It's incredible. It's so weird to me to think that Kotaku's been around for that long. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. It's been... And I just fucking got here. I'm like the baby. I'm the tiny baby of Kotaku. Hey, uh, I'm even more of a baby than you. Kotaku baby. It's like the Muppet babies, except for do, do stuff Kotaku about Kotaku babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's all for this week. Um, so you can find me and Patricia on Kotaku.com. And Maddie. And Maddie. And Maddie. Her work mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. shows From up on Kotaku.com. Time. And also on Desbin.com. But you can find all of Compete stuff at compete.kotaku.com. Yeah. Um, if you have reader mail for for us, you just send it to patricia at kotaku.com with the headline, uh, fave this, and we might read your email on the show. Please leave us some more reviews on iTunes. I love reading them, and also it does really help with visibility for us. Um, and that's all for this week. So thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No problem. By the way. No problem. Yay.